Good evening, and welcome to Shattered Lives, a lively, educational, and issues-driven radio show designed to tell another side of the story, to focus on and humanize crime victims, to enlighten and shine the spotlight on organizations and service providers, and to assist those who walk the path with us. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you this Saturday evening or afternoon and every Saturday for uh, enlightenment, awareness, education, and uh, sometimes entertainment, primarily revolving around the uh, aftermath of crime. And um, so I'd like to welcome you. Um, The end of February here still feels like Christmas in Connecticut, but it's... uh, Almost March, and uh, so I welcome all my my uh, new listeners and uh, my veteran ones. It's a pleasure to have you each and every week, uh, as it is to have my co-host and my co-pilot, uh, Delilah. Good evening. So nice to have you here with me. How are you? Hi. I'm doing great, Donna. It's great to be here um, and cool. doing another show with one of the fantastic Wild Blue Press authors. Yes, yes, it's, it, it just keeps getting better and better, like a cumulative effect, you know, like one of those snowballs rolling down the hill, and it just keeps getting bigger and better. I, you know? I totally agree with you, and, and we will have all of the um, links to all of the shows with all of the Wild Blue Press authors available, so if anyone misses the shows, um, we'll have them all together. Oh, wow, that's that's an excellent idea, you know, and so... So that my my old brain does not forget, and I'm going to bring Ron in very 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 shortly. Let me let me talk a little bit about the promotion, and we'll try to fit it in a couple other times if we can. Um, uh, Steve Jackson, the uh, the czar of Wild Blue Press, has has thought of this promotion this evening, and what we're going to do we're uh, we're going to feature well we're going to talk about many things, but the two books that uh, initially, we were to focus on were, was uh, uh, crime fiction books from uh, from Ron, the Deadline, and the Obituary. And what what he's offering is that just for listening to this show this evening, we're offering those two crime books for ninety nine cents, uh, the low price of ninety nine cents, not even a dollar. Uh, and uh, you go to wildbluepress.com forward slash obituary and order and order yours now as you know as you're listening here for ninety nine cents and also for the first twenty five people who email their Amazon receipt uh to info at wildbluepress dot com uh you can uh get either book and you will get the get the second book in, in this uh pair for free the first 25 people to do that, okay? So you cannot beat that price. And for the quality of writing that Ron Franchel does, I mean, it's just, you know, it's unheard of. So please, please go ahead and do that. And um, so without further ado, I don't know, I, I could take the whole hour just uh, reading his credentials, but we should say that, that um, our esteemed guest, um, it has been a, a, a newspaper journalist uh, and a reporter and uh, an author for many many years. He um, he started out in Wyoming. has has uh, also um, lived in New Mexico and California's Bay Area, um, and is a very prolific author, um, both of um, true crime books and crime fiction. And like I say, this evening we may start out with the uh, two books called The Deadline and then The Obituary. And let me say up front that in in speaking with Ron this week, I know he's very, very dedicated and sincere with the plight of of crime victims and um, how we deal with life. So I'm very glad to hear about that. We may have a chance to talk about other books as well. So without further ado, Ron, thank you so much. It's truly an honor to have you on Shattered Lives Radio. Thank you for being with us. It's a privilege to be here. I, I'm I'm exactly as described, at least in that part about the victims and the people who encounter crime. That's that's one of my passions, and, and actually it comes out 
in all my crime books, whether they're fiction or nonfiction. So we're we're going to have a good time today. Well, good. Well, good. I wish. Yeah, I'm sure the hour will go by quickly. And you know, there are definite parallels between. Um, you know, uh, true crime and, 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 and fictional crime. And I, I just want to very, very briefly acknowledge, and I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but today happens to be our uh, the anniversary or of our friend Susan Murphy Milano, her birthday today. And um, just as I was making the example in my Facebook post today that um, for those of us who have experienced grief through homicide, um, going through grief for someone who has had a terminal illness or a prolonged illness, it's still grief, but it's different, as is um, writing crime. Um, crime fiction may have come out of some realistic events, but, but then again, it is vastly different than taking a real, true, uh, a real case in a, a true crime book. Would you, would you say that that... May, there's maybe an analogy there to be had, Ron. Oh, absolutely, and I, I think uh, you know Susan, whom we all knew, was was somebody who gave this unique voice to that loss. And I, I'm not really sure that that there's a great deal of difference between the different kinds of losses. A loss is a loss, and mm-hmm. uh, I I think all of that. Uh, it pretty much feels the same. Your heart is still messed up. And, uh, you know, we're talking, of course, about a, a kind of loss that's that's in a narrow way related to crime, but I'm not sure they're different from the loss from illness or anything else. But um, Susan gave such a wonderful voice uh, yes. to, to, to the the challenges that the living face, mm-hmm. the dead don't care. They're gone. They're past caring about that. But she gave a voice to the living and, and, and the feelings that, that just come at us. They, they overwhelm us from mm-hmm. loss. Uh, when you have someone like Susan steps forward and, and, and can put it in perspective and can, can talk about it, the way she did, like nobody else, really, in many ways, like nobody else could. Mm-hmm. Our privilege to know her, and uh, happy birthday, Susan. Right, and uh, happy birthday, Susan. So, um, with that, you know, I I think we're all privileged to know, you know, at least a handful of inspirational people, such as she. And I'm just wondering, with regard to, well, let's take. The deadline, for example, I know that there is a perhaps a, co- a coincidence that we can talk about with the the first name of a character that is in that book, and then something a character from a true crime book by yeah. the name of Amy, isn't there? Right. And how well, did that, it, how did that it, all start? It, it, this is it's one of those little uh, oddities that probably every artist uh, experiences. Uh, as as a writer, as a journalist, I, I I usually feel like I'm more on top of my consciousness than I am, and this is a great example of it. The deadline is a mystery. It's a it, it was a novel that that uh, uh, was written because I couldn't sell the literary novel that I had written, and everybody was saying, "Hey, write something more commercial." Uh, when I searched around, you know, I, I I searched around and I found some notes that I had made after a troubling dream one night. And the the, the, the in this dream, which you know, which of course I was part of, uh, an old man comes into my newsroom. I was the editor of a small town newspaper at the time. Uh, this old man comes into my newsroom and he tells me he's a he's a convict who had just been released from the prison because he was dying but he wanted me to help him prove he didn't do it in the dream my reaction was a very cynical one i i i like like many uh people who've had any association with criminals or convicts 
my reaction was, yeah, right. <laughs> the dream ends there because I woke up. I, I woke up and I'm laying there in the dark and I'm thinking, I, I didn't get into journalism to be this cynical. And this bothers me because actually I know that's exactly how I would react. Mm-hmm. So I wrote notes. I, I made a note of it because I wanted to think about it. I wanted to think about this part of me that I wasn't happy with. Well, as I'm looking a couple of years later for an idea for a mystery, trying to kickstart my book authorship career, um, I come across these notes. So I, 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 the, the deadline springs from that. That is essentially the, 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 the theory or the, the, the theme of the book. An old man, an old convict is released from prison because he's dying and he wants a newspaper man's help to prove he didn't do it. Okay, well, now what do I need? Well, I need a victim. I need a crime. Well, I invented what I thought was, you know, the, the most uh, frightening, uh, provocative crime that I could, and that was the murder of a child being thrown from a very high bridge in a very remote place in the wilds of Wyoming. Um, I gave being the child thrown a, from a, a bridge into water t- to their yeah, death? Yeah, into a river yeah. below into this deep, dark canyon, you know, the most frightening thing I could think of at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Parenthetically, I'll say, I think CSI and most crime drama on TV now outdoes me regularly. But but back then, that was was the most frightening uh, scenario that I personally could come up with. The little girl's name was Amy Little Spotted Horse. She was a little Indian girl. And and the 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 her her heritage is part of the story too. So uh, the the story you know the the story emerges from that. Our our hero gets deeper and deeper into his investigation about this convict and 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 this this profane sort of um, detestable figure begins to change. And um, I, I'm of course not going to give away the ending, but no. um, <laughs> but <laughs> the, what you're referring to, though, interestingly, is um, a book that comes oh almost ten years later, and this book is a true book. It's it's about a real crime that happened. And and in this real crime, I was uh, I was a, a minor character because the two victims were my next door neighbors. They were my friends uh, as we grew up in a small town in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. One of them's name was Amy, and she and her sister she died when she and her sister were thrown from a very high bridge in a remote part of Wyoming, into a deep, dark canyon, into the river below. Now, how coincidental is that when one is real and one... And one happened 10 years prior to that? Well, it it had happened when I was 16 years old, uh, long before either of these books was written. But when I had written this fictional setup for the deadline... I hadn't consciously thought about that. I hadn't consciously said, oh, well, there's this crime in my childhood that I think I'll use that. I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was something subconscious and, and hanging in the back, something haunting me about that, that, that found its way out, but not, not in this conscious way that I was retelling a real story. So... By the time then I get around to telling the real story in my book, The Darkest Night, a true crime, uh, it's in that process that I begin to realize what I had done, that I had fictionalized um, the, 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 this very real and very moving and very sad death um, 
that had uh, touched me in my life, and I'd, 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 I'd introduced it through fiction. It's you know nearly ten years later that I write The Darkest Night, and now I'm going to tell the real story. So that we could talk probably about how that that original crime, that real life crime had affected me and then the ripple effect it had on me and it's coming out in my art in different ways right uh, it was in your subconscious and in the deadline invariably you did something different with that but you dealt with it i did i dealt with it in some way i didn't deal with it fully or i don't know that i would have come back and written about it in in a non-fiction book later but uh I, I think it illustrates how sometimes these events that that happen in our lives, particularly the traumatic ones, um, continue to haunt us by by just hanging back in in the back of our hearts and the back of our minds, uh, and they find their ways out in different ways. I think sometimes we can think our way through this stuff. Mm-hmm. But we can't feel our way through it. And sometimes we can feel our way through it, but we can't think our way through it. Uh, some, our heads and our hearts are out of whack sometimes that way. But um, and, and we'll talk maybe a little bit later about how other people have dealt with those kinds of traumatic events. But in the deadline, you know, which is what, what uh, the the, the, the the mystery that brought me here today, um, we see um, in art, in fiction, in creation, um, the, 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 the ghost of something real and, and something very personal to me. And I think that's common. I think that's common. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wonder, um, for those people who maybe are not wordsmiths and have sort of these um, nagging thoughts and, and traumas and I won't say demons, but things to deal with in the back of their mind, how do people who are not writers, I mean, maybe they paint, but I mean, I'm so glad that I have the outlet to write because it's been so therapeutic for myself to going through all that I have in terms of what most people would define as trauma um, in my life. You know, it's been invaluable. Sure. And I think yeah. that uh, uh, sometimes people don't take advantage of that outlet, that, that sort of um, that valve that lets off a little bit of the pressure that's built up. And uh, it, it can be poetry. It can be a song. It could be painting. It can be dancing. It, you know, it can be walking in the park. And there's a, there's a countless ways that, that people could deal with some of these things, but they don't. When, it's, when it involves art, though, I mean, the difference between going for a walk in the park and then writing down whatever ghosts are haunting you uh, is that one is, isn't frightening. <laughs> one doesn't <laughs> challenge you. Uh, the same way as looking deep down in there and being honest about it and putting it on paper or on canvas or what have you. Uh, so I think that that, that um, confronting those ghosts uh, is important to recovery. And when we talk about my book, my later true crime book, Delivered from Evil, where I profile mm-hmm. ten different ordinary people who survived their encounters with mass killers, then we start to see in each of their stories these little but important ways that they restore some normalcy, or at least the illusion of normalcy, to their lives, which is important to recovery. Uh, Definitely. you know that, 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 that this all gets balled up, and and it's it's growing more confusing than the offer for free books that we talked about earlier. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it 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 all gets balled up in there. I don't write because I'm trying to exercise any demons or anything like that. Uh, 
but I do try to write from a deep uh, a deeper perspective and from a, a, a more um, a personally honest perspective where I'm touching on some things that bother me or move me or make me happy, and I'm trying to pour them out on the page in some fashion. Even in my crime writing, I, I try to do that. So whether it was the fiction or the nonfiction, it's all kind of coming from the same place. Well, I was just going to say, I think, you know, you've, you've really painted a, a wonderful picture of how an author does what you do, and it is an art. But, you know, the impact of the victims of, of some of the true crime stories that you've written and then all, ultimately even in your crime fiction, um, what kind of an impact does that have on, on the author? I mean, I, I'm sure that, you know, you've interviewed people, you you knew people who were victims of crime, and they're included in your books. So what kind of an impact personally does that have on you as a writer? It has uh, the same impact on me as it would have on you. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I have any special perspective. I think it has the same, it affects me as a human being the same way it would affect you and would affect someone else. My challenge as the writer in telling their stories is to um, sort of uh, transfer their story to somebody else. I'm a middleman, and and the challenge is getting it right. The challenge is, if it hurts, making it hurt for you. If it hurts the victim, then my challenge is making it hurt you. And by by hurt, I mean uh, emotionally painful. You feel the pain, yeah. I I think of holding my hand through hell with Susan, (laughs) right? Well, exactly, and I think that that I'm I'm because I'm that middleman, because I'm that artistic middleman. Uh, the the honesty that I owe my subjects um, result should result in in a, a very practical feeling on your part, a very uh, real feeling on your part. Honest to God, when when we when I did the book Delivered from Evil about those ten people, um, my God! <laughs> my reaction here is, my God! I spent up to two weeks with each one of these people personally, and and for reasons that you know, as you can imagine, um, these are these these are people who. Uh, they can be forgiven their mistrust of strangers, but they are mistrustful of strangers. So my first mission was to establish this trust with them because that was going to be crucial to telling their stories in all those vivid, violent colors. So so when I go and I spend these two weeks with them, I'm in their homes, I'm with them and their kids, I'm going to meals with them, I'm seeing them in moments that have nothing to do with the purpose that I'm there, and I'm building that trust. Now, during those first couple days, I I would just listen to them tell a story that they'd told a hundred, maybe a thousand times already, you know, to the media, to their friends, to their family, everybody. And it it always came out of them as if it were – just an unfolding tape recording, right? It was just unreeling out of them on one long loop, and they they kind of played it back for curious people uh, on demand, almost like a tape recorder, you know? Like it, was, it was wrote. It was a rote speech that they had memorized, kind of? Exactly. Almost like that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So day two and day three... Uh, They've told that story. Well, we've got a couple weeks to go here now. Uh, what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about things you haven't talked about before. And, and increasingly, as we go, we're going to talk about things that you may have stuffed way down. 
Mm-hmm. And maybe by the end, we're going to be talking about things that you never even thought about before. Um, you know, so. It, and that it, opens it, their vulnerability, and it's kind of scary. Well, it's a, it's so vulnerable on their part. They, they mm-hmm. can feel so vulnerable that if they don't trust me, they're not going to say that. They're not going to go there with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in order to get them into those sort of distant, dark corners, I needed to build that trust with them. And I needed to, I needed them to understand I wasn't going to betray that. I wasn't going, I wasn't there for the, the lurid or for the lascivious. I was there to, to, in that role that we just talked about, you know, a moment ago, I was there as the middleman who had to get whatever pain they felt uh, whatever whatever rewards, whatever fears, whatever nightmares they had, and get that into somebody else's heart. Because right. that's how we were going to make a difference. And so that was, that was part of it. But I, I'll add this, too, uh, because that's a great question, Delilah. Uh, they also inspired me. Because, honest to gosh, I, I had... I had gone through a divorce. I'd had uh, all the usual and ordinary uh, disappointments in my life. But I had never bumped into somebody who wanted to kill me, at least not knowingly. And, and here were people who had these, here were people who had come close to dying, some of them who'd lost everybody that they loved in their life in this tr- this trauma and they were doing okay they had found a way back and i thought if they can do it then all of us out here who whose worst problems are kids that don't listen to us or or divorces or loss of a uh, loss of a job or something like that then there's there's definitely hope for us so i think victims can stand as kind of our models some of them not all of them some of them just never get up and move on right they can't get out of their own way as susan would say you know and and that's that's the problem you can't move on yeah and susan was brilliant about that susan yeah susan spoke truth there they couldn't get out of their own way. And based on my research for Delivered from Evil, um, I would say that that's uh, maybe five out of six. That for every six people who who suffer that kind of uh, um, extreme trauma, that five of them might live, they might still breathe, they might still walk, but they're dead. And they're mm-hmm. just—they're just waiting to be boxed up. And yeah, that, that's, that's where it. resiliency comes in too, isn't it, Ron? Like we spoke of um, this week—the human resiliency factor. Absolutely, that's that's the resilience, and and um, when it came right down to it, that's why I wanted to do that book. I, I wanted to explore these wounded hearts and minds that don't surrender, that don't stop. You know, I right. wanted to know what what things there are deep down in the heart of our hearts that that begs us to keep going. I, I wanted to know this, and I I wanted to tell those stories. So so when I'm searching for these people. I was looking for somebody who had refused to lay down and die. Yeah, well, it sounds like a, a, a very fascinating book. Go ahead, go That's ahead. always been one of my questions throughout a lot of radio shows that we did um, over the years with with victims and with, with advocates and service providers is why. You know, why is it that you have some people who can pick themselves up and fight the fight and, and carry on with their lives and others just can't do it. Um, I think it's difficult for society as as a whole to understand that, that it's just not in the makeup of everyone to come out of, of a situation um, whole again. That's right. Yeah. And that's it's, sad truth 
that that not everybody is equipped to be resilient. Not everybody's equipped to come back. Not everybody's equipped to avoid being crated up before they're dead. I mean, you know, it's 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 you know, every single one of us that you'll have on your show, from Steve Jackson to Caitlin and Caitlin Rother and and Burl Bearer, any any crime writer you have on here, if they're being honest, will tell you that we've run into um, far too many of those people who who just don't have it in them. They don't have that that remarkable resilience in them. And and uh, by the time I was done with Delivered from Evil, I I was all, I, I was inspired. I really was because I hadn't expected to find that that resilience. I hadn't expected. I, I expected something dark. And indeed, the book is dark in the sense that it 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 talks about how these people nearly died or the their loved ones were wiped out by disturbed killers but but then there's that next step that that they weren't dead and by god they weren't going to give up they weren't going to quit and in some respect i think those people even though uh the deadline and the obituary were written before my true crime uh i think there's a there there are these uh these whiffs of that, I think we see there uh, a real affection, not just for the victim, but for the victim who refuses to be a victim and instead wants to be a survivor. Mm-hmm. It, could it be, Ron, too, as you were talking, I was thinking back to the the deadline and perhaps the obituary, could it be that there's not as much vulnerability in the fiction because, in fact, it does not deal with a a real human being, and it, could that be one of the differences in terms of the humanistic, the, the vulnerability, or is that just the, maybe the skill of the author, whether or not fiction, you, you get that element in, in a fictionalized book? You know, I, I can't answer that. I don't know, and I certainly can't answer mm. for everything. Uh, right. In my case, the victim is important um, and is a driving force in a story. Um, whether the victim dies or whether um, whether the victim survives or whether there's family that that is left and the family is dealing with it that's certainly true in the case of of the deadline where the family of this little girl is left you know to to deal with this and and they deal with it in in emotional ways but um i i'm i'm different you know you'll talk to steve jackson you'll talk to a lot of of uh crime writers who are more fascinated than i am uh, about killers and about serial killers and mass murderers and <laughs> and the bad people blood and guts <laughs> yeah i mean and those, the gore. <laughs> important to the story they're they're the thing that makes the story go uh-huh. But they are freaks, and uh-huh. and in general we love freak shows. Uh, these th- those people they live in this kind of nether world that you and I don't occupy. Mm-hmm. But but they creep into our nightmares. They creep into our homes. Uh, they creep into our mythology, and they steal away something. And 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 that's security. It's trust. It's sometimes life itself. But I'm not I'm not as fascinated by them as some of my my colleagues in crime writing are. I recognize them as a as the, the, the player that puts everything in motion. But at some point I begin to to wonder about the reaction of the people who didn't choose to be in this place and in this time. Um so unless interested in the catalyst and more interested in in the in the the, the, the people who must react to it. Well, I'm with uh, you on that one. <laughs> really. Man. Well, these people are splashed. I mean, think of the horror that that a victim or a survivor is splashed with. I mean, their reaction um is is important. Now, 
that killer, the greater the evil, then the greater the hero. I mean, the, in order for me to illustrate the real accomplishment of a survivor, I have to show you just how bad the bad guy was. You know, Good that's point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but that's that's a fascinating part to me, and I I uh, I and I I covered I was. Um, dispatched by the Denver Post when I worked at the Denver Post to cover uh, in the days right after 9-11, I was dispatched to the Middle East to cover sort of the questions of that were that were dogging all of us at that time. And I spent a lot of time over there asking those questions, wandering the streets of the Arab and Muslim world. And in a, over time... I came to a conclusion that that crime writers and war correspondents kind of have the same job. They're writing about people at the most traumatic and the most desperate moments in life. When when we see people at their best and we see people at their worst. Um and and I've kind of approached my crime writing from that from the perspective of a war correspondent that this is a this is a human story and there are good things happening here and bad things happening here and with, it's really about how ch- humans choose to react to any given any given stimulus that that creates our stories yeah very true um can you can you tell us can you expound a little bit on um the obituary is the obituary uh, a sequel to the deadline? Yes, it is. And um, it was written a few years... And that's coming out, what, in the fall? It it will come out May 15th from from, uh, Wild Blue Press. And um, both books, you know, originally came out and uh, are now being introduced to a whole new generation of readers by Wild Blue Press. And um, it, 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 so it's been kind of exciting to see them in a new light and to see them not from the perspective I had at the time I wrote them, which was earlier in my career, but from from a perspective that's a little more seasoned now and and to see how how they hold up you know, with uh, with the nonfiction that came after them, because all of my books after the obituary have been nonfiction, and most of them crime. So, uh, right. the, the the they're both. You know, people ask authors all the time. You know, which one is your favorite? And being a father of two. I, I I don't have a favorite child. <laughs> I wouldn't have a favorite book either. Uh, uh-huh. But each book, each book um, occupies a place in my heart that's different. And these two books together, well, these books, especially the deadline, um, uh, are are special to me because it it, it, it it's. It does allow me to explore a story on the fictional level. It led at the time. It let me learn a lot more about storytelling and using the tools that a novelist has. Because then, when I come back and I start to tell true stories, um, I tell them the way a novelist would tell them. I don't make anything up, but I use those tools. Uh, that I learned writing novels to tell true stories, and that means I, I identify a hero. I identify, um, you know, the, the antagonists. I know how a story unfolds, and and once you recognize those hallmarks, uh, even true stories, you start to see how they reflect the stories we make up in their rhythm and in in the drama. Uh, so I was blessed to be able to write crime fiction 
first because I think it gave a whole new texture to my true crime later. Uh, again, I'm not making anything up. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm telling a completely true story and delivering only facts. But as Truman Capote did with In Cold Blood, I'm using some of the techniques that a novelist would to build drama and to build tension and to draw characters. Uh, and and that was a blessing. Mm-hmm. Well, even even for fiction, it has to come from some some principles. It has to be based upon your your upbringing, the cultural, the you know the culture that you have been exposed to in your personal experience. That kind of goes into the the cake mix, if you will, um, doesn't it? With with the fiction, and then you know you're talking about being a using the tools of a novelist, but then it with with the true crime you're also being the war correspondent. So with you know, you're shaping it in different ways. I'm I was thinking like, you know, you're a potter and you're you know, in, in the different permutations that you have to use in creating the structure of the story, but yet bringing out the emotion and the human humanity of it to me is the real challenge and I love that art part of it is painting that picture, Ron. Oh, exactly. And you have to paint a picture. Uh, You know, not the true crime marketplace is, is sort of uh, split. It's, 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 it's got a lot of people who love the more literary, the more uh, thoughtful, the more metaphoric universal stories that get told like, like Capote did, like James Elroy does, and and uh, uh, Jack Olson, one of the great great writers, more literary. Then there's there's what I call the the commercial end, the supermarket end, where they really just want tell me the story of what happened. He did this, then he did that, then she did this, and she did that. Then somebody arrested somebody, and then there was a trial, and they went to prison, and they lived happily ever after. And yes, they just actually <laughs> want a fairly uh, frank, straightforward, uh, straightforward, unadorned, um, uh, almost timeline style um, book, and and true crime struggles between those two camps. Uh, I just happen to be in the the former camp. I I just believe in telling a bigger story. I don't care if it's true crime. I don't care if it's uh, literary fiction. I don't care if it's a, a mystery, I want to tell a story that reflects something about us and that no matter who you are or what the story was, that at the end of it, you kind of you, you spend a few minutes thinking about you and you think about the people around you and you think about your world. And not to say that I'm burdening people. I don't want to do that. But I want there to be a message. I want there to be something worth holding on to. That's all. And true crime offers us that chance. It shouldn't just be a bloody, gory, lurid story. It, it There should be meaning in it. Mm-hmm. For sure. What, uh, what is the value in, in having, um, you know, a, a sequel or a series such as this? Do you anticipate, you know, so the deadline was was your first um true uh fictional account and then the, the obituary is it is the obituary a continuation of the characters and the story from the deadline and then who knows maybe you'll foresee in the future a third one along those lines there, they there are a few characters who come back of course the main character the small town newspaper man named Jefferson Morgan is uh-huh. is the central protagonist, and he's he's back with a new um, a new challenge, a new a new mystery to solve. And um, there are a few new ones, uh, and it, it extends it. In general, writing crime fiction, uh, the market is built around series. I mean, they 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 want a series, and uh, they want uh, they want readers who want to go back and buy every book that that guy wrote, or woman, a lot of female mystery writers. Uh, and and so it's a marketing thing more than anything. Uh, 
early in my career, I saw that as that was going to be my ticket. Well, then things changed. You know, I I went off to to the Middle East, and it was on my way back after a long time over there, and 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 being tired, and my mind is working in a different way that I was inspired to write my first true crime because of things that, that, that I, I, to be specific, I'm on the airplane coming back. I'm tired and I can't sleep and I'm somewhere over the Atlantic and I pick up a French news magazine and in it are pictures of people plunging from, from the World Trade Center. And I had left so soon after 9-11 uh, I hadn't seen these pictures. I didn't even know if ultimately they were printed in the United States, but this French news magazine had them. And in a moment, in, in a fraction of a second, um, a picture changed my outlook completely. And it was a picture of two people plunging from the World Trade Center holding hands. Yeah, wow. How could that not affect you? Yeah, well, it takes me back to that childhood moment when I'm 16 years old and my two next-door neighbors, my two friends, uh, are are abducted by a couple of local thugs, terrorized through the night, taken out to this very high bridge in the middle of nowhere and thrown off. Now, in their case, they were thrown off at different moments, but in my mind having seen this picture, um, I imagined the possibility that they were holding hands, if not literally, then figuratively, as mm-hmm. they they fell. And, of course, the younger girl is killed, but her older sister survives, and that sets the story in motion. So the darkest wow. night is... So that picture was mid- the impetus for you to create the darkest night from your childhood, Ron? Right, exactly. So you, it's this intimate story about these two childhood friends mm-hmm. who suffered unspeakably, um, and I, I just, I had to tell it at that point because, um, well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But <laughs> at, at its heart, it's about a victim. It's about uh, this. The survivor's search for some equilibrium in her life and to find some solid ground under her. She she might never have found those answers, but her search leads, I think, I hope, and this is what I was talking about earlier, it's her search for answers that should lead us to some answers. You know, what, you know, what that whole crime did was convince me, you know, and I was fairly impressionable at 16, is that evil is everywhere. It's all around us. And, and, and no matter what we do, we, we simply can't avoid it for the rest of our lives. You know, early on in that project, I, I was describing it as the moment when evil came to my little town. But the fact is, that evil was always there. It didn't come there. It was there. You just we didn't just, recognize it at the time. Exactly. We didn't expect it. We didn't recognize it. So mm. a, a life in journalism and that experience together convinced me there was just no genuinely safe place. But, you know, wow. it hasn't, it hasn't really made me... powerful. A, it, it, it made me understand how important it is to live. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of to hiding, instead of hiding from it, it made me think that this is why we should live. And and you know, somebody once said, you know, that, that some people are so worried about dying that they never live. <laughs> that's that's for sure. I think there's some wisdom to that. It's not On just the a other face- hand, getting back to resilience. When you're speaking of that, uh, and I, I apologize for interrupting you. Um, no, it's, no. it's just that. Um, I know that evil exists all around having been a homicide survivor for going on 34 years or so, but yet I think that that the key is you know it's around you and, okay, I've overcome that, but you can't let all the evil around you overtake you. You still have to try to 
maintain your equilibrium and your positivity at, at all costs. Because well, this is Ed this Hill. is internet radio, not right? FCC regulated radio. So I can say this. <laughs> Go ahead. God, fight uh-huh. back. Fight right. back. That's what it's about. This is fighting back against evil. This isn't ex- this isn't about just simply acknowledging it and saying, "Oh well," and just doing the best you can. This is about fighting back too. Um, mm-hmm. For me personally, I think in that book, uh, along those lines, uh, the the most difficult part of it was uh, the series of interviews that I did with one of the two killers, the only one that was still alive at the time. Uh, and um, I, you know, you know, in almost every other element of my research, I was protected by this emotional distance that a newspaper man learns. But these interviews with the killer were the challenge that I wasn't sure I was going to to, to uh, sort of surmount. Um, he, w- he was the most important piece of this story to me because he was going to be my mirror. He was going to tell me something about me. Um, so so I, I, I did my interviews with him. He was this classic sociopath. He, he had this sort of country boy charm. He spoke like we were good buddies. Uh, he didn't, you know, he, there, there, he cried when he talked about his mother. You know, there were there were these elements of, of the interview that were very interesting for me. But talking to him, I, I, I got to say, I hated him. I thought I hated him. Um, and And so doing this was going to challenge my ability to take that, proper distance um and and you know messengers in the messengers of all kinds have always played this role in the human community the human community since since men's started um i really wanted to know if my feelings about this guy uh more than what he represented or that he did were stronger than my passion to to be a conscientious journalist. In other words, could I could I give him his voice? Um, and I I convinced myself that if I couldn't give him his voice, if I couldn't tell his story honestly and fairly, then I wasn't really the newspaper man I thought I was. And and in the end, that means this rapist killer would have robbed me of that too so wow, that sounds like quite a struggle an internal struggle you know there the... but and here's a confession mm-hmm. i found out i didn't hate him i i hated what he did i hated what he represented and i still do without apology but when all was said and done i felt sorry for the man because he turned out to be a rather pathetic figure you know, think about the Wizard of Oz. He, he is this rather pathetic figure behind this curtain right. in a story that had taken on a mythic proportion to me. And in the end, I told the story he told me. I think I told it fairly. Uh, and uh, I I felt like I I learned what I needed to learn about me by talking to a killer. Very and interesting. It was interesting therapy. Mm-hmm. So, but not something you'd want to do as a steady diet, perhaps, because it sounds like you're more act oriented toward, you know, toward the survivors of crime, which I'm I'm very glad to hear about. You know, it's it's you know it's been a wonderful journey. We have about five minutes or so left to our our um, show currently, and I I hope that sometime in your busy schedule outside of the series you will come back because I think you have so much insight to offer us, and it's just fascinating. So I I, want to put that out there for you. Delilah, do you have any specific question you'd like to ask Ron at this juncture? I'm just tickled pink to have him on again (laughs) and to be a part of the show with him. And I think you know what you might want to do, Donna, is let's give the the, oh, uh, give the particulars to the the promo. details to the deal. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's uh, take it away, Goldie. Um, okay. Um, just for listening to the show, 
you can get Ron's blue, uh, uh, Wild Blue Press crime fiction books, The Deadline, and The Obituary for 99 cents. Uh, and you do that by going to wildbluepress.com forward slash obituary uh, and, and, order, and order yours now. Also, the first 25 people who have been listening to the show or are doing it now, um, you, you, you can email your Amazon receipt uh, after purchasing those for 99 cents to info at wildbluepress.com for either book, The Deadline or The Obituary, and you will get that second book for free. And I highly recommend um, that you also go and purchase the others because they, the True Crime books also sound very fascinating, The Darkest Night and Delivered from Evil. I think those would be of quite a, a lesson for those people in our audience who are listening who are survivors of crime as well. And um, so... Um, I think it's, it's this is a wonderful opportunity, and I'm, I'm so touched to have to have had Ron on this evening. Ron, is there any particular message you'd like to convey to our audience in general about some of the topics we we've, we've talked about, or or you know what your plans are in the future? Well, uh, I've got plans, that's for sure, uh, or I won't eat. That's the. What are your plans? <laughs> well, I'm just finishing a book right now that's with the with one of the world's greatest medical examiners about some of the most fascinating Ooh. cases in his career. So uh, that'll be oh, out wow. next year from St. Martin's Press. As a message, I you know I I think the the grand message is that that we can't be lulled into a false sense of security. I think America today in the age of terror is a lot like my little neighborhood in Wyoming in 1973 when my two friends were abducted and, and raped and murdered. Um, when the last thing we expected was something evil to come. Um, but that said, we don't want to be so frightened that we hole up inside our fortresses and we never get out into this complex world, both literally and figuratively. I think mm-hmm. living, living life at its fullest exposes us to dangers. That's a given. So it becomes a tool for fully living to accept that and accept that you're going to bump into evil out there. Uh, Let your senses and your emotions be your guard, but not your fear. Um, You know, to some degree, because of this event in my childhood, I believe that justice was elusive and that in, it was even occasionally impossible. I still think that's true. Mm-hmm. But it no yeah. longer stops me from believing mm-hmm. in I, I still believe. And I think that uh, I chose a profession that occasionally seeks justice. And uh, uh, maybe the lesson would be to always seek justice. Um, and, and in the same way that we, we can't allow the past injustice to blind us. So I, you know, that's that's just off the top of my head. I think that that uh, that's a good. That's what I'm learning from crime. Yeah, very. I, I yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And so we we always walk that tight rope, and there's that delicate balance there, uh, particularly for those of us who have who have been there up close and personal. So it's it it's it's a pleasure that you are doing the good quality work that you are doing on behalf of our extended family of of crime victims. And, um, you know, like I say, it's been an honor to have you. Thank you so much for appearing with us on Shattered Lives. I've learned so much, and I hope we can continue our relationship here. And uh, please do, everyone, take advantage of the promotion as well as continued uh, buying of Ron's, Ron's books in the future and stay tuned next week for another fascinating offer from wild blue press and uh so good evening ron thank you i'll talk to you off the air uh, and delilah thank you so much too my privilege for being here thank you all right